0: In this episode, we talk with former rugby league player Luke Lewis. He played over 350 games of rugby league, was a premiership player with both Penrith and Cronulla, a member of the New South Wales State of Origin team, and represented his country 16 times playing for the Kangaroos. All in all, a great career. Special guest today is none other than former Penrith Panthers premiership player and uh, Cronulla Sharks premiership player, Luke Lewis. Hey boys, thanks for having me. And uh, I'll throw straight to our uh, rugby league expert, Paul Delegant.
1: G'day Luke, you might recognise the jersey here. Uh, One of many (laughs) you wore with pride. 17 games for New South Wales, 16 for Australia, one snappy all-star game, five City Origin games and you're one of 42 players who have played over 300 games in the sport that I love and which uh, I'm allowed to rattle on about every week. You started off in 2001. (laughs) I did notice in your second year you had two hat-tricks, if you don't mind. Uh, A lot of blokes (laughs) don't have one in their whole career, so very impressive start to your career. You played with a lot of passion, enthusiasm and I think the best compliment I saw when I was doing my uh, brush-up for today is you've been described as a footballer's footballer and I don't think it comes much more of a compliment than that, so it's a a privilege to have you on the show. We'd love to talk about some of your experiences in this great game.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and thanks for the Rap Paul. I'll tell you what, I haven't heard those uh, those stats for a while, but um, I've gone for
1: something diplomatic here. <laughs> uh, you almost joined the Rabbitohs at one uh, point. I, I'm not going to mention that either. Uh, there's a very good photo I saw during the week of Benji Marshall uh, holding his son. Did you play much against him? And can you tell us a bit about, about him? He seems to be loved by all and just a great player.
2: Yeah, good fellow, Benji. Um, look, I, I haven't played with Benji, obviously, because he's a New Zealander. I never got to play with him in the Indigenous all, in the All-Stars game. But uh, a lot of my uh, teammates have played with him and had a little bit to do with him. And I got to play against him. I think it was. I think he made his debut in 2003. I remember playing him at Penrith Park, and you knew he was going to be... The superstar he just had you know really good speed his feet were amazing great ball skills but mate he change our game for for a lot of young kids these days you know like you still talk you still hear kids out at the park and they go yeah I'm Benji Marshall because they don't want to do the flick passes and all the flamboyant no look passes and the chip and chases and you know use their footwork and, and step people and mate he's uh he's been a great player for a long period of time and to, to make another grand final 16 years down down his uh down the path in his career is absolutely mind blowing so yeah, look, he's. Uh, it would have been nice to see him win that grand final, us uh, and get him another ring, but wasn't to be. But he's had an absolutely magnificent career. And I tell you what, he's been through. He's been through the ringer as well, but he just kept picking himself up, bringing himself back to the um, to the field and playing his best football, and didn't care what other people thought or said. So for me, it just goes to show what kind of person he is and what sort of mindset he's got. And for me, it's just mentally strong. So yeah, I love everything he's done. Did you know he
1: can solve a Rubik's cube within a minute? I
2: kid you not. No, I didn't know that. But, um <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. He's, he's...
1: Yeah, it's not the sort. It's just I think it'll look a bit unusual. I don't know what happens in change rooms, but if you look across and a bloke's working on a Rubik's cube, might be a bit unusual, I'd say. But, uh, just speaking of <laughs> versatility, you've played every position, if you don't mind.
2: Yeah, no, I'm very lucky actually. i will probably the best thing ever happened to me playing every position on the on the footy field. But uh, I remember when I was a young kid. Uh, I sort of used to play 5-8 lock and then um, then someone sort of got, you know, injured in the centres, had to play centres when I was a kid. But one thing I, I remember is that I, I didn't want to be pigeonholed to a player that <coughs> had to play in one position because then all of a sudden you're going, well, there's only 16 teams. That means there's only really, you know, 16 positions unless you're playing a position where there's two of them. So my mindset was that I just sort of wanted to be able to play football and just, you know, whatever challenge gets thrown at me, get out there and do the same thing. It wasn't hard. It was... Um, and make the tackles, get the ball from one end of the field to the other end of the field and do it as best possible you possibly can and um, and just try and be a really good defender, work with people around you and uh, I think it was the best thing I did purely because if I didn't do that, who knows, I might not have got the opportunity to play in the blue jersey or you know, the opportunity to play in the Australian jersey but uh, to have that sort of utility value, uh, I think it opened a lot of doors for me and it was the best thing I did.
1: Penrith boys obviously enjoying their premiership win. The uh... The trophy's looking a bit worse for wear, but I I did read 30 years ago it fell off the back of a ute when the Raiders were uh, carrying it around. So can you tell us about your 2003 premiership win? We don't need the full details, but did you party pretty hard?
2: it was funny because 2003, I was only a young kid. I was only 20 years old and I was so, you know, motivated and driven on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve. And uh, when we won the grand final, I probably, to be honest with you in 2003, didn't appreciate the opportunity I had and, and I wish I did, but I enjoyed it absolutely. It was pretty amazing. Got to do it with people that I looked up to and obviously kids that I, you know, guys that I'd come through to grades with even like Luke Rooney and, you know, Trent Wardhouse, Luke Swain, Shaden Rodney, these kind of guys. But uh, the next day, Mad Monday, we had an awesome night all the way through to the next day, probably around Twelve o'clock, one o'clock. They uh, they named the Australian Kangaroo Tour to two thousand three Kangaroos, and I was lucky enough to get my name read right out. So my mindset had went straight from having a few beers and being you know a little bit dusty to going straight home, you know, preparing my next week to make sure that I was ready to go for, for the Kangaroos. So I, I basically started training that that afternoon because I didn't want to let the, a goal that I'd written down uh, as a child that I wanted to play for my country. Uh, let it slip. But um, yeah, so if I had my time over again, I probably would just sat back and relax a bit more and uh, and waited for that to come along. But uh, being a young kid, I was that motivated. I just wanted to get home and train. So my celebrations in 03 were totally different to the uh, 2016 celebrations. So 2016 was totally different. You know, I enjoyed the whole week. Um, Then I got lucky enough to get on a flight on the Friday after. And went to uh, Dallas, uh, then went to the Cowboys Stadium and then ended up going to, to Vegas and then went and watched the Raiders play, went to a couple of basketball games and it just kept going and going for like three, four weeks straight. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And, um, yeah, I was still living on the high from the grand final, so totally different celebration the second one.
1: Uh, your uh, your career went for about uh, 17-odd years. Can you just tell us a bit how the training standards changed because we've got a few Melbourne Demons fanatics on the uh, the forum here and I'll never forget Max Gorn, the big ruckman. And when he first started, he arrived with a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> so obviously training has changed a lot. How was it when you started compared to when you ended in terms of protein shakes and uh, yeah. how much healthier people were?
2: Oh, I changed teams. I remember me, I was very lucky in 2000, and, uh, 2000 actually I, I got to do a pre-season. I was only young I got to do a pre-season uh, on and off with first grade and I was playing uh, Howard Matthews and you know, you'd know, you sort of go up and do a couple of sessions because they were pretty good kind of for bringing young kids through and just getting a bit of experience. We've done a pre-season obviously with Westbury ball and then we'll you know, again back up training with first grade um, twice a week but my very first pre-season in first grade it was all about the old long distance running, You know, running yourself into the ground and weights and just never ended but every Tuesday and Thursday night we'd go to the pub and make sure we had a few beers and a feed uh, and that's what it was about, just building relationships uh, then as the, obviously the years got on the GPS come in, uh, then it all come back to, to recovery, rehydrating weighing in before you train, weighing out after you train, making sure your weight's back on before you leave the training park, it sort of changed a whole lot and um obviously the professionalism of it, but you know, I was always a big believer you had to do more away from the field anyway. So uh, I just sort of kept that pretty much my whole life. Uh, I remember Brad Izzard, he was a, a, obviously a kind of great and uh, he sort of told me at a young age, it's not what you do when you're getting seen by your coaches, what you do when no one's going to give you the accolades. So... Mate, I'd go home after training and go for a 5K run or an 8K run and uh, do HIIT sessions. And I was always doing, you know, an extra hour of fitness um, every day when I was a young kid, all the way through till pretty much when I retired. So the whole lot didn't change for me when it came to, you know, the amount of work I did, but it definitely come down to it did change a lot when I got towards the back end of my career about looking after my body and making sure I was doing the right thing. You know, no, no, I'm not a big alcoholic, a big alcohol drinker anyway, but, um, Uh, Straight after games or training sessions, it was protein shakes straight in, getting the right nutrients straight into my belly and um, making sure I was doing everything right so I could obviously prolong my career, which I think it did. Um, I think it gave me an extra couple of years, definitely. It might
1: explain why you're one of only 40-odd players to play the 300 games. And uh, you've kept busy after the footy with um, your fine work with White Ribbon and also your ABC commentating duties.
2: Yeah, love ABC. Mate. The radio is uh, probably my dream job. I uh, worked with a great crew. There's a really good bunch of people there. And um, you know, obviously, all the big bosses are awesome. They're just You can sit down and have a chat. Like we're having a chat now. You know, There's no... Um, I don't know, everyone's on the same level. It's just a really good community. Uh, and then, obviously, all the, the charity work I absolutely love because I do believe I have to give back a little bit because if it weren't for them. Uh, charities, you know, we, it just makes you feel good by able to give back. And maybe doing some great work out west uh, Western Sydney where I grew up in Doomside Black down there, you know, helping young kids, um, you know, aspire to achieving their... Uh, achieving their um, Goals is what they want to do as sports people. So we're out there at the moment, obviously coaching behaviours. We're a big believer in coaching behaviours first and uh, everything will sort of follow behind that. And, mate, it's... uh all steps in the right direction, but baby steps at the moment. Speaking of um,
1: coaching, we we're always fascinated here about coaches. And I think there's certain things that are transcend across all the different sports. You obviously played under Ivan Cleary. Could you compare perhaps his style to Wayne Bennett, what you've encountered with him?
2: Well, to be honest with you, I, with Ivan, I only had a little bit of time with Ivan. Um, you know, when I was there, when Ivan came over, they were doing a bit of a clean-out. And there was obviously a lot of salary cap problems. So they had to sort of get that sorted. And I was a captain at the time, so I probably... Uh, I was the first person to put my hand up and say that I probably had to move on, uh, which was hard because obviously Peniff was my uh, club that I absolutely loved as a kid. Never thought my wildest dreams would leave, but uh, it was probably the best thing I did because it gave me a whole remotivation of what I needed to do but yeah look, Ivan was a, a pretty quiet sort of a fella, never really blew up but again he was going through a rebuild stage so for me it was totally different. Wayne Bennett uh, I had him in the Australian uh, side once and one thing I loved about him was just about building relationships outside of rugby league you know, he didn't talk footy, he was a big believer that you're here, you know what you need to do, you just need to execute it on the on the night and he was all about you know, what do you do away, what's your, what's your favourite thing, uh, you know, you've talked about family how many sisters, brothers, all that sort of stuff you know he was right into understanding you as a person so i i love that little bit of time i have with wayne bennett but Again, I wish I, I got to spend a little bit more, more time with Wayne Bennett and, and Craig Bellamy and, and those kind of people just because they're just so successful but they're all about bringing out the best in other people. It
1: seems to be a common theme that they, they care for the players. I mean, there's one coach, I won't name him, former Panthers coach, where he's texting players at two in the morning and about defensive structures. You just, you've just you got to be able to switch off, I think, and also want to play for the coach. You want to win for them rather than just feeling like you're just there for their purposes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, like, and give Shane Flynn a wrap for that. You know, he put a really good side together and got us all together, uh, had a bit of a game plan. And then I remember, you know, Mickey Yannis and James Maloney and uh, and these guys all going in and saying, oh, mate, can we just change your game plan a bit? And he goes, yep, yeah, okay, what do you want to do? But, you know, you can get some coaches and, nah, no, no, nah, no, we're going to do it this way. Or you can get some coaches that are open to it. Okay, okay, what do you want to do? What's going to help us, you know, be successful? And uh, Shane Flanigan was really good with that as well. So, yeah, look, I think if you haven't got that relationship and trust in your players, obviously, make your job very hard, but if you've got full trust in your players and and obviously the people around you to execute what you need to execute, and everyone buys in on what you want to do, I think um, obviously your world's your oyster, I just sit there and you look at Craig Bellamy, and he brings players, never really goes and buys big name players, right, he just brings players through this is what we do, this is our system Um, we've got got an honesty sort of a system that I trust you, you trust me, I won't give you a job that you can't do, I'll give you a job that you can execute week in, week out, but I expect you to do it and they do it week in, week out. That's why they're so good.
1: Adam Wolno was on the on the, uh, plane at Tullamarine on the way to Europe. And Craig Bellamy found out about it and said, come and play for us. And he won a premiership.
2: Yeah. Adam Wolno. So uh, Brian Norrie, again, he was going out to, to be a, a captain <laughs> coach out in the um, out in the country. Uh, got an opportunity to go to, to Melbourne, and he's a grand final winner, absolute legend, and um, yeah, he's so good at doing it. He does it so consistently, Craig Bellamy. Um,
1: you um you oh. mentioned his name earlier. I was going to ask you who who's the biggest mouth you've seen. I'm not too bad on the mouth, but James Maloney. Uh, obviously, you played alongside him. It'd be a brave man who'd fire a few words in your direction, but who was the most annoying pest you ever played with or against?
2: Well, it's hard to pass go, go to go past James Maloney. He's um <laughs> but insane But he's one of those blokes that you just love, you know. He's uh, I love him to death. i do anything for him. He's uh one of those guys you need to have in your team. He's an out and out winner. Uh again, he played in the grand final last night, but obviously, you know, he'd come up short, but he's just a winner. He knows how to, to get things done. But he also knows, you know, how to switch off, how to switch on, what needs to be executed, you know, what's not so important. Um and he keeps everything pretty lighthearted, you know. So when he knows everyone needs a bit of a laugh or something, he comes up with the right thing at the right time. And um well, I'd hate to coach him, but uh as a teammate, um you know, you love to have have him next year. And uh again, you always know you're gonna get a laugh from him. So, mate, I'll give Jimmy that that uh that sort of uh role, the pest, but at the same time I I wouldn't call him a, a bad pest. He's one of those guys who just loved having the team.
1: I was going to say, John McEnroe is a fine guy by all accounts. A lot of it's just mental. Uh, I played very low-level cricket, but if I got on the mouth, the batsmen often would just need to not hear it, the better ones. Or the ones that I could rattle, you know, you, you're getting on top. And no doubt that, that was his intention a lot of the time, to just get in the ear and let the opponents know he was there and what they weren't doing right.
2: Yeah, he did. He was really good at that. Mickey Anders was probably the best I'd seen at that. He, he'd get under people's skin, but without going too far overboard, but we'll put him off their game. But the good thing about Jimmy is that you can't get back at him, right? Because he's uh we used to call him Dory, mate. He would he, forget what had happened. Like if he makes a mistake, yeah, oh well, I threw I threw an inset past who cares. And then it's done. It's forgot about it doesn't blow up about it, doesn't talk about it, it has a laugh and then gets on with the job. I uh, remember Grand Final like, two thousand sixteen, yeah, we, we missed I think he missed a tackle but or oh, something happened. We scored a try, he goes, Boys look it is what it is, nothing's gonna go away all night. We you know we've got to have a little bit of something go against us. So this is our challenge. Just give me five defensive sets so we can get the ball back and get in good field position. And I promise you win this game. So we went up and we executed for the next five defensive sets and we won the game but Jimmy's speak behind the uh speech behind the line was absolutely spot on. Well, they are saying
1: in the grand final that oh. Nathan Cleary, I mean these are commentators who've watched 40 years of footy, they've never seen someone so unable to be rattled.
2: Yeah, no, he doesn't get rattled, mate. Like I said, that Dory mentality, you can't get rattled, right? So, um, mate, he's, uh, he's got an answer for everything, but at the same time, he's just he's got so much trust and belief in his talent, uh, and he knows what he can do to get across the line, and again, he just builds up that, that respect level and relationship with his teammates that he trusts all his teammates to do the job. So, mate, it's very hard to rattle someone like that.
1: Best player you've played with <laughs> and also the best <laughs> player you've played against.
2: Yeah, best player. Oh, mate, it's hard to sort of say best players. I was lucky enough to play with, like, Darren Lockyer, Petro Seminacivo, Craig Gower, Billy Slater, Cam Smith, Cooper Cronk. These guys all stand up for me. Uh, obviously, I think one of the – obviously the best leader was probably Cam Smith. Just super relaxed. Billy Slater for me on the field, what he could do was absolutely mind blowing. So you know he, he's one guy that I can't go past, and, and Cooper Cronk, uh, just his footy mind, his execution on, and his obsession on being so good and, and making sure he's doing the right thing for the team. Again, another one you can't go past, but. Look, I can't pick out any individuals. Um, but those guys I just mentioned, mate, they're all you know pretty special players. And I'm very you know, very grateful I got the opportunity to play with players like that. Um all toughest right, bloke you've ever oh, been oh. hit by. Oh mate, I think I mean you know, well, I'd say probably Steve Maddow got me a beauty a couple of times. You're a little outside, you don't get to see him, you're looking in to catch the ball and bang out of the blue, just rib rattler. But um, yeah, he was always a little bit uh you always had to keep two eyes. You got, I got his back now. Yeah. No, you're
1: back because I know Sonny Bill Williams oh. once hit Marcus by so hard he thought he was back in Papua New Guinea when
2: the trainer said we're a <laughs> Yeah. right there's some big hitters out there. Tell you what, um yeah, Francis Melly was pretty bad too, like pretty good at coming off the off the line and absolutely annihilating blokes, but Mate, there's some great wingers. They just they know how to read the game so well. They know exactly what's going on. It's funny, you know. You say you know like most of the big hits that I've actually ever seen, not really come straight from the middle. Like Nigel Plum was pretty good, and obviously you know the modern day in um, you know Jake Trebojevic and all those sort of guys are, are awesome. But these wingers, mate, they're, they're reading and, and coming off the line and putting shots on absolutely mind blowing.
3: look uh, just just going back to the grand, to the grand final and, and Penrith. I mean, it just seems to be that. Penrith attracts local Penrith Blacktown players and, and always has, and lo- local people. And I think I'm assuming sure that many the grand final team have a number of the local boys. What is it about Penrith that seems to keep? Uh, and grow the, the, the young
2: youth, the local talent. Oh, mate, just they're, um, look, all the kids out there, they love their footy, uh, It's that culture, it's a rugby league culture, and they've just got such a really good, strong junior uh, nursery that they, you know, play against week in, week out. You know, back in the, when I was playing down there, they, they used to have talent scouts out there every week, keeping an eye on these players. They'd pick the best of the best, and they used to do, you know, the old development squads, get these guys playing with each other, and then, you know, sort of blood them through the system, bringing them through how it. Mats and SG ball where they pretty much go close to getting their grand final every year. And um, mate, that, that's basically it, but they just love it out there. It, it is. It's just a, everything you talk about in there is rugby league. Everywhere you go, There's all you always see football balls, uh, football, sorry, jerseys, you know, kids running around the front yard or playing touch footy on the road. It's just one of those things that it, it's just a dead set, 100% rugby league culture.
3: Um, it struck me that the uh, greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast suns experiments are just that. And the GWS experiment for AFL is just not going to work because there isn't a genuine uh, love for your game out that way. Do do you see AFL getting any sort of a foothold uh, out west of Sydney?
2: Well, mate, everywhere I go at the moment, they're really making some inroads. AFL is every um, field that you see AFL post everywhere. There's uh, all the schools have got AFL fields now, all marked out with post everywhere. Uh, They're making massive inroads. And I do believe there's so much talent down here in Sydney. Again, it's just they're getting spotted by the Right people at the right time I'm not too sure But yeah, look, I think it will work eventually. Again, it's just everything's about timing, right? You've got to be around for a long period of time. You've got to wait for opportunities. And when the opportunities come, we'll see some shining lights come through. Look, I think uh, the AFL are getting bigger and bigger every year, which is scary signs for rugby league. But at the end of the day, we can open the gates for any young kid coming through that want to play professional sport. It doesn't matter what sport it is. I'd love to see rugby league, but if it's AFL, soccer, you know, uh, cricket, I don't really care as long as these kids are getting out, doing something they love and, and getting Paid well to do it. How good?
3: (coughs) Luke, uh, something that Paul did talk about, I'm surprised he actually did it. We had 25 minutes of the draft giving us his best. So (laughs) state of origin. Us Victorians used to love it. Um, So we used to have the rivalry with South Australia and WA. We don't have it now. But every year we get three of the best games State of Origin in Rugby League. Can you give us a bit about the start from your career and then your final and the way it changed? Because um, it's amazing. It is It is an event that we all watch and we've been fortunate enough to have it in Melbourne and being able to go to it. But it just seems to go up a level.
2: Yeah, it does go up a level, especially when you're playing. Like, you know, you know the best way to explain it is when you play, you know, in the NRL, it's pretty quick, right? But then when you go to you know the state of origin level, it goes up by about a meter and a half to two meters quicker. It's absolutely mind blowing. It's funny though, because you sit there and you go, Oh, the impact must be ten times harder. But because the game's so fast, it's actually not. It's it's bizarre. It's like you get hit, bang, you're on the field, you're off the ground, you're up, you're playing the ball, you're off again. But it's uh something for me that I always dreamed of as a young kid to play in. I just love the brutality of it. Um, you know, you weren't too sure how it was going to uh unfold, but you just knew if you if you got on top early, you could hold it if you you knew the game was always going to ebb and flow. Um, it was only going to be a matter of um, someone who was willing to do something out of the ordinary to to make the win. But that's what I love about it. You just see guys who can step up to that next level and continue to, you know, push through the pain barrier and, uh, push through that fatigue factor and, uh, you know, just keep turning up for their mates. Um, you know, you actually do generally build up a hatred for that period of time um, through to origin. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that you hate them through the origin period, your Queensland guys. But when you go into kangaroo camps, uh, you end up becoming best mates with them, you know. So, yeah, look, origin, it, it's a different kettle of fish. It's so hard to explain, but it really is um, something that you just just been brought up as a young kid, watching with, you know, friends and family, watching your childhood heroes run around and, you know, walk off with blood all over their face that you just want to experience that to represent the the thing on your back which is your name and your family that are sitting in the crowd which is pretty special you know
0: Oh, that's uh, a yeah. Quick question. Amazing. Luke Gowling here. I noticed that um, Paul in the introduction said you'd played 15 games for City. Now, I remember in the old New South Wales, it used to be City versus Country before picking State of Origin. Has that dropped away or, or what happened to that or is it still available?
2: Yeah, look, I think oh, it's not available anymore. The City Country's not being played, but um, it used to be a proper troll game. When I was a young kid, I used to sit down and watch the City Country. I couldn't wait to see how the game would unfold. Yeah, and it. then obviously, you know, you'd, you know, you sort of expect all the ones who stood out in that would be playing for, for New South Wales, and and then when I was got an opportunity to play City Country, it probably wasn't as much as a trial game for state of origin. It was probably more just a bit of a taster uh, to see you can go from the NRL just to that extra little bit of a you know, a step up. Uh, we've obviously players that are, that are playing well that year that are probably on the verge of, um, you know, if they can continue their form, maybe play State of Origin the year after or, or two years later. But it was a great concept. I, I enjoyed it purely because it was another little bit of a test. It was a week away in camp. It was good to meet new new players and um, and just to test yourself to see where you're at. And then if you have a really good game, then who knows? If you can take that form back to, to your club for a couple of weeks before Origin's name, you might get that opportunity. But I think it sort of lost a bit of that aura when I was a kid watching it yeah. uh, compared to when I played it too much sport yeah that's right mate how did you find uh,
1: Americans I mean they really love their sports well wow. when you got oh, there oh mate
2: it's different kettle of fish again over there I'd never seen it like it we uh, obviously were very lucky to go to Dallas and uh, we got to watch the Cowboys do their sort of captain's run as you, if you'd say got to do a tour of their stadium and their their gym facilities Their um it's absolutely mind blowing I went to the new at t stadium I think it was called Um, mind blowing absolutely packed out but it was when you get there in the morning morning. We got there, I think, at like 10 in the morning and they were doing the um oh, I can't remember what they call it, uh, tailgating I think it was, but outside there was just like proper Setups with like TVs, amps, barbecues, people just dancing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It was like a proper festival outside. And then you walk into the stadium, a hundred thousand people just standing around, absolutely having a the ball. There was no drama, no trouble. Yeah, I haven't experienced sport like it until I got over there. And was, again, I absolutely love you know what they do and how they uh, go about their business over there.
1: It's the world's biggest screen that one at that stadium.
2: Yeah, I know. Mate. We we're sitting underneath. I was thinking, mate, if this fell, would at the some bloody damage. I tell you now. Yeah, but it was pretty (laughs) mind-blowing. He'd just get the
3: checkbook out, wouldn't he? The, uh, the, what is he? The president, the chairman, the CEO and general manager, I think his titles are... Uh, jam- Jimmy Johnson.
2: Well, when, when we are walking in, you should have seen there was a massive lineup, and then um, all of a sudden the line got stopped. The, the the line got divided and his helicopter lands right on the block, right, basically at the back. He gets out of the helicopter walks straight through and then everything went back to normal. It was like yeah. something out <laughs> of a movie. It was, it was pretty cool. So you got to see Donald Trump? Oh. No, I didn't, I didn't see him, but... Um, yeah, <laughs> now, Jerry,
0: I think that is yeah the owners. Luke, in my uh, research just for you coming on the program, I was looking at the best tries of two thousand seventeen, and we saw the value of an intercept try in the grand final last week. Yeah, Um, I saw you come off the line with ninety. Ninety metres to run, intercepted and went on. I heard the commentator say at the end that you'd done one of eighty metres the week before as well. So, uh, just tell us about the anticipation needed just to do something like that, because it's a heck of a long way to uh, get to the other trial line.
2: Yeah, it was funny, you know, because I, I played on the wing when I was a young, when I was younger, then I maybe transitioned to the centres and so on, and then I never really scored a try over sort of fifty metres. I think fifty metres was really my longest try. Sort of the back end of my career, I was playing back row. I was, I think, I was thirty. We'd been 33 at the time, or something like that. Um, but the week before, we'd done a lot of video against Manly, and we knew they'd run a play where they'd go to the right, but then they'd shift it back across the ruck and come back to the left and try and catch a napping in defense. Anyway, my uh, teammate Chad and said, Watch the switch here, watch the switch. So I thought, oh, yeah, I reckon they're going to come back here. So I just took off, I just ran up in the line. Next thing you know, the ball was floating in the air and it landed on my chest. And I scored a try, I couldn't believe my luck. And um, anyway, everyone was uh, you know, going on about it, but I was pretty tired that one because we'd done a whole lot of defense. I think we had three. Or four sets back-to-back back, absolutely out of my feet but i got to to the trial line and scored and you know we're getting flogged at the time that's sort what's of got us back in the game and then we slowly sort of made our way back into it we still lost by a try but it was pretty amazing then i sort of talked to the boys during the week and then all that train and then you know we just practiced some defense on the line because we know that um you know mitchell pierce likes to stand wide and uh jake friend likes to throw a long wide pass so mitchell pierce could get out straight under his three man and create like a sort of four on three opportunity so anyway we practice it during the week. I've got a couple of intercepts of training. This is a bit of a G up and um Make game day come and I looked up and an identical setup to what we had been practising at the training all week. I thought I'm just going to get off the line just in case he comes to the left. So I took off and the next thing you know I sent a ball just floating in the air and um, yeah, got it with two hands, got to the other end but I was just lucky because I had a big screen in front of me. So I always got told as a young kid never look back because it slows you down. So um, I just kept looking straight but the big screen was right there so I could sort of see where the Troy Mitchell was coming from. So just a little <laughs> bit of a veer away, just enough to, to get under the post and score a try but uh, it was pretty funny both my long try, uh, my two uh, long-ish uh, tries, come back into my career, and they come two weeks in a row was mind-blowing.
0: So, so it was a little bit like uh, sitting down at an exam and realizing you already had all the answers.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like that old, uh, you know, that old saying, you know, you "sweat more at practice and uh, you know, you bleed less at war." I suppose you could say it was um, a bit like that. You know, we, we practiced, 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 and we got out into the game, and all of a sudden, the practice turned into a little bit of uh, fortune for myself and end up getting the opportunity to score. One one (coughs) last question
0: from me, uh, Luke. I just heard you mention that during looking at video, that must have changed between when you started your career and when you finished your career, how much time you spent watching videos of what other people were doing.
2: Yeah, when we were younger, when I first came in, we hardly done any video to be honest with you. We would watch one video a week and it used to be on the old, you know, you put the the video in and you'd press fast forward, rewind, watch the full game sometimes in in full and that would be it. But as you got, you know, the, the years went on, you'd Sort of, they'd start breaking them up into you know, right edge attack, right edge the defence. Uh, what we're going to see weekend like on the weekend you know what they do if they kick it to the left what sort of tap shapes they're going to throw at us um, and then you're sort of going from like maybe doing a 15 to 20 minute video to doing like you know five or six videos a week which would add up to about two or three maybe even four hours of videos so obviously you know the preparation got you know a lot more um you know got better and better as the years went on and you know the, the coaches obviously home right in on you know what they'll seen in all the games that they will watching and building up to that we knew we could get a lot of benefit out if we executed right so so, yeah, change
1: And Can you see now, um, I mean, the coaching burnout rate now is so high and no doubt if you are a coach, you could literally be working 24 hours a day just to get all that together and you you maybe never feel like you're on top of things as a coach.
2: Oh, mate! It's some of the stuff I see the coaches just here at the Sharks now, from you know, from a different perspective. You know, being on a uh, the other side of it, not being a player. Mate, they'll they'll play the game. They'll go home. They'll review it. They'll cut it up. They'll edit it. Then they'll take it in. They'll review that to the players, showing where we sort of fell down, where we we're were right at, where we could have been better at, and what we could have executed better. Then the next thing you know, they're, they're halfway through the you know the day. They're watching three or four videos of the last two or three weeks against teams you're coming up. Against you know what they're going to throw at you, <laughs> but it never ends. Uh, then they've got to put the you know the training, you know, the session plan together, the weights program. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. You see these guys; they get in there at five thirty in the morning, and they're not out of there four five in the afternoon. Pretty hectic job. But in saying that, these guys that we're talking about love it, right? So they're doing something they absolutely love. Um, you know, it's they're part of their DNA. I love the idea of it, but you know, committing to 12 hours a day of watching footy on the screen, and I was struggling doing watching 15, 20 minutes of it. As soon as I knew what we had to do and what we needed to execute, I just wanted to get out of there. But, um, mate, my hat goes off to all these coaches, especially like people like Craig Bellamy, to be on top of his game year in, year out, never miss a beat. Mind-blowing.
3: Luke, uh, th- thanks for coming on the show, Luke. And uh, if it's okay, not just with you, but also, you know, your, your current employees, we'd love to have you back. That last discussion we've talked about, about analytics and the, the game as it is at the moment, both on- and off-field, there is nobody, I don't think, in the game that knows both sides of the rugby league like you do. So if it's okay with you, we'd love to talk to you more about the analytics, the, the modern coaching methods, the, the training methods. Um, I'm quite sure that Paul Dalegan would not mind talking to
2: you about rugby league in the future. Is that fair to say, Paul? You got that right. Yeah, mate, I'd like, mate, I absolutely appreciate having me on, so thanks very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to our channel. Our next podcast will feature former University of Houston punter, Dane Roy.